Hello everyone, my name is Nahum Siegel. My guest today is the general editor at Art Scroll Masora, Rabbi Nussin Sherman. We're going to be speaking about a brand new book and some other topics of interest regarding Art Scroll Masora. Rabbi Sherman, a pleasure to speak with you today. My pleasure. It's been a long time since we met. It certainly <clears throat> has been, to say the least. All right, so the brand new book is entitled Rav Chaim. It's the Jaffa Family Edition, The Life and Legacy of the Sar HaTorah Rav Shmariao Yosef Chaim Kanievsky, Rav Kanievsky, as he was known, of course, to the world, written by Naftali Weinberger. Uh, first of all, I've heard that this uh, book has really taken off, that the reading <laughs> public has uh, been attracted to this one. Somebody wrote in one of the Anglo-Jewish newspapers, uh, weeklies, that uh, Art Scroll made a bad mistake. They only printed 10,000 copies, and it wasn't enough. Wow. We printed more, and it's still not enough. Good problem to have, and it's good to know that people are interested in reading about the, uh, the person who is uh, referred to as the Sar HaTorah. Tell me about that title, especially, mm -hmm. I'm sure, to people in the audience mm -hmm. who are familiar with Gadol HaDor, certainly the title mm -hmm. Talmud Chacham, but Sar HaTorah, is, that, is it more of a common title than I think, or is it something that really just mm -hmm. refers to Rav Kanievsky? It's not at all a common title. It's, um, in each generation, you'll find one, two, three people who are called Sar HaTorah. Is the master of Kala Kula. There was no one in our generation, like Reb Chaim Kanievsky. He knew everything. So the title is not really paying tribute to his abilities as a, as a posek, as a <laughs> halachic decisor, as a leader, as somebody uh, who, who makes decisions on behalf of the Klal. It's more, as you just described, somebody who is viewed as the person who knows the most and the most in-depth and has the most in-depth Torah study. That's right. He had, everything was just faster than a computer in his mind. The first time I heard about him as, as an authority, this goes back in the early years of Art Scroll, more than 40 years ago, we published a book called Wisdom in the Hebrew Alphabet by Rabbi Monk, sure. the founder of Camp Monk, right. an exceptional human being. And he told me that uh, he had about 55, 55 quotes from Chazal, various uh, uh, Medjur, Zohar, Shaz, Bavli, Yerushalmi, and he didn't know the sources. And he went to Reb Chaim Kanievsky, who at that time was very little known, and he showed him the list. All, of, all but three, Reb Chaim told him on the spot where they are. And the other three he had to look up. Pretty amazing. One might think as you go through the book that he, he was an expert not only in Torah, but he had leadership qualities in so many areas of Jewish life. When it came to chesed, when it came to advice, when it came to shidduchim, and certainly when it came to studying Torah and having an influence on people in that manner. And, and I wonder if maybe his uniqueness was just that, that he was really at the top of his game, so to speak, in so many different categories. That's true. I mean, I say about him, not I say, everybody says, we, we can't duplicate his knowledge of Torah. I mean, that's uh, it's one in a century. <clears throat> but we can duplicate his, his love of Kalal Yisrael, his interest in people, He's doing whatever he could to help somebody else. There's one story, it's in the book that it, it meant a lot to me. 
Well, if, if I may, sure. in, my, in my sinful youth, I once went through the complete works of Sherlock Holmes. And uh, Dr. Watson told him some interesting scientific fact. Right. And Holmes says, that's very interesting and I will do my best to forget it. Why? Because the human, the human mind is limited. I want, to, I want to assimilate the knowledge that I need for my profession. I'm not interested in these other things. I'll tell you a story about Reb Chaim. Once in the middle of the night, when he was a younger man, early middle age, he was, uh, he was out putting out food for a cat. And there was an American young man who happened to be walking in the street, and he took a picture of him. Right. And Reb Chaim saw, and he was upset. He was upset, and he told him, chutzpah. So the, this young man took out the film and gave it to him. Right. Fine. And he was always ashamed after that to come to Reb Chaim to ask for a bracha or ask for advice. He was embarrassed. About 25 years later, he did come in. And Reb Chaim looked at him and he said, I'm waiting for you for 25 years to ask you mechila. I was angry at you and I wanted, and I wanted to apologize. A few weeks later, the same young man came back. Mm -hmm. Reb did not remember him. As long as he had to do a mitzvah to ask for mechila, he remembered him. After that, it was not important anymore. And he had kept it in his mind all that time because oh. it was a priority for him. For him, <clears> you know, that's right. Quite obviously. Um, t tell me about lineage. Look, you have. <clears throat> I can only imagine in your position how many books you've read and reviewed, and you've read and and uh, and approved of in a way. You know, biographies of Gedolim who come from very humble means. Uh, some of whom come from you know we might call an average background, so to speak. And then, of course, people like Rav Chaim Kamenetsky, who comes from. Uh, you know, a, a background steeped in Torah and tradition. I mean, you're talking about some real top names when you go through his yichas. I mean, I, I, I'm asking a sort of obvious question, but I'd love your comment on it. How important is that background to him becoming who he was? <clears throat> it was important because he grew up with two of the Gedele Hadar. He, his uncle was a Chazaynish. And... Um, when he was young, he learned in the yeshiva in, um, in Israel, came home for Shabbos. And every Arab Shabbos in the afternoon, he would spend time with the Chazaynish. Chazaynish, he considered him his primary rebbe, in a sense. His father was the stipler. Stipler was uh, an incredible goon. And uh, worth, re worth reading the book just to hear about the stipler's upbringing, <laughs> frankly. That's right. That's right. Stipler was... Uh, Grew up in the city of, of Harness Stiepel. It's called Stipler mm -hmm. for short. You know, a lot of people used to say Stipler or Shashiva, and I'd say that's absolutely not true. He left Harness Stiepel when he was 12 years old, and he never went back. He was not Shashiva in, in Stipler and Harness Stiepel. The Stipler was, was an incredible going in his own right, and uh, he was a profound influence on, on Reb Chaim. The Chazaynish, the Chazaynish, his kibbutz Ava'im was to us unbelievable. Rav Chaim, as a teenager, he was once, uh, he came to the Chazaynish, Arab Shabbos, as he always did, and, he, and Chazaynish 
his mother had, had moved to Eretz Yisrael. His father had died in Europe. His mother lived in Israel. And the Chazanish used to visit her every single day. And this was a man who's, who, who counted time in seconds. He visited his mother every single day. And one day he had fever and he was in bed. And Reb Chaim came to visit him and he mentioned in passing that I, I came from the Baba and she, she said, I'm surprised uh, he wasn't here today. He, the Chazanish jumped out of bed, got dressed, and literally ran to his mother. And Reb Chaim said, I ran after, I couldn't keep up with him. And that same kibbutz Av, Va'im, the uh, Reb Chaim had himself. Well, with a role model like that. Mm. Yeah, his kibbutz Aim was, was incredible. His kibbutz Av, there was one time somebody told his, his father, somebody told the stipler that um, <clears throat> Reb Chaim hurt his back and he's in pain. And uh, it, was a, it was a different Reb Chaim. But the stipler thought, oh, Chaim, that's his son Chaim. So he went to the house and he told him, stay in bed, rest, don't get out of bed today. He stayed in bed all day because his father said to stay in bed. <laughs> he took the directive very seriously. Keep it up. His father yeah. said something. You have to do it. Understood. Uh, speaking to Rabbi Nussin Sherman, the book is called Rav Chaim, <laughs> written by Naftali Weinberger. Uh, then, of course, we know about his Rebetzin, meaning Rav Chaim Kanievsky's Rebetzin. <clears throat> so you put this all together, <clears throat> the background and lineage quite strong, as we just described. And then, you know, it, within the same generation, to have a wife who ends up being, you know, not just for the art scroll purposes, because I hear the biography of, of the Rebbitson was quite um, uh, well, uh, uh, well received. received, to say the least. Uh, but in addition to that, um, it, it seems like he's surrounded by people who are masters at their tasks, even the task <laughs> of Rebbitson in his wife's case, and, and then, of course, subsequently his children and grandchildren. Having that circle around you of people who are so dedicated to a life of Torah, obviously he had some of the influence on others, but also the benefit of having people who were serious mm. enough in mm. it to want to act in that matter. His Rebbe was a daughter of Rabbi Yashif right. and a granddaughter of Rabbi Levine. Can't do better than that. Right. And uh, the stipler said about her, people came to the stipler for a bracha, and he would say, Go to her. Meaning his daughter. Go to Batsheva. Her brachas are more effective. Right. She was she was a very great lady. I remember one story about her. It's in the, in the biography, also written by the same author. Right. Um, she was the kind of person she was. She was standing outside of the house, and there was a young woman, improperly dressed, to say the least. And a young man was walking by the street, and he shouted at her. He's a chutzpah, what right do you have to come to this neighborhood dressed that way? And the Rebetzin, the Rebetzin said to him, get away from here, don't you ever come into my house again. And she ran over to that girl and she hugged her and brought her into the house and put a sweater on her and brought her into Reb Chaim for a bracha. Fascinating. And this is the type of environment that he, Rav Kanievsky, was surrounded yes, by. And, and Rav Chaim was the same way. Right. Tremendous love for anybody of any background. Took very seriously when people who were, I don't know, we might consider wayward or somewhat lost, came in and wanted to learn with him, came in and wanted to spend time with him, took that very seriously. And, and would even mention, according to some of these stories, 
to the person. I'm very short on time, but I'm willing to you know, either learn at a specific time during mm -hmm. the week or you know, spend some time discussing what your problem might be. Somebody brought a young man into, into Rav Chaim. I think it might have been uh, Naftali Weinberger, but I'm not sure. And um, this is a young man who grew up in B'nai Brak, an ultra-Orthodox home, and he dropped everything. He dropped everything. Smoked on Shabbos. No, no, broke all contact to religion. And somebody brought him into Rav Chaim. First, he didn't want to go. No, no, you can go to Reb Chaim. He's, he's tolerant. He won't, he won't yell at you. Brought him into Reb Chaim. And he told Reb Chaim, I can't stop smoking on Shabbos. Don't ask me to stop smoking on Shabbos. I can't, I can't stop smoking. So Reb Chaim said, but I'm asking you for one thing. When you, when you finish the cigarette, don't stab it. Don't, don't crush it. Put it down, let it burn out by itself. So at least you will not doing, you won't be doing the malacha the of extinguishing, malacha. extinguishing a fire. Three months later, this young man came back and he said, he stopped smoking on Shabbos. And eventually he came back, he became a Balshufa. Rav Chaim was, he knew who he was talking to. He, he loved Jews. You're smoking on Shabbos, that doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you. Minimize your chilo shabbos. Right. Had an insight that uh, we would hope every Jewish leader would have. You ever wonder about? I, I think about this often. Uh, Naftali Weinberger, obviously a very qualified author, and you've read now, of course, plenty of his work. Do you ever wonder of what the book would be from the perspective of somebody else? Right? He obviously had this personal experience with Rechaim. Tells us an amazing story and, and fantastic stories, and it's a wonderful volume. Do you ever think of? You know what the book might look like if someone from a different perspective or someone who knew him differently, or Chaim Kanievsky differently, might be? That's a very interesting point. Um, you know, somebody once said that the uh, American history was written, by, was written by the victors, by the Americans. Right. If the Indians, or Native Americans, you're right. not allowed to say Indians anymore, if the Native Americans had written American history, it would be a different kind of book. Mm -hmm. And now, uh, for example, now 1619. Sure. The, uh, different perspectives. <laughs> very different. Right. Very different perspective. Rabbi Cholber Weissmandel, who was uh, probably the greatest hero of Hatzola during World War II, sure. he said, he said uh, others will write the history of the war. And anything that we accomplish, they'll take credit for. And anything that went wrong, they'll blame us. Right. That's a very good question. I, I, think, I think maybe some people would write about Reb Chaim. They'll just talk about what a genius he was. Tyron, and concentrate on that. They'd leave out the Abbas Yisrael part. Right. The They'd leave part. out the, the Chesed part, the, the Avodah Hashem, his concern, overpowering concern for young men and young women who didn't find their shaduchim. Right. I mean, he, he didn't sleep at night worrying about, about such people. Right. I think most would not write about that because they wouldn't know about it. So it's a, it's a good reason to be grateful to this author. Really covered everything. <laughs> Neftali Weinberger, very interesting how he came to, to know Reb Chaim. It's in his introduction mm -hmm. to the book. Yes, he was uh, an American boy, married, he was learning in the Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. 
and um, they were married for five years, no children. And he went to Reb Chaim for a bracha, like everybody else did. <laughs> Reb Chaim said, write a sefer, tell him there's a Gemara, it's a segula for children, write a sefer. He says, I'm not even from the good students in the yeshiva. How can I write a sefer? No, no you write a sefer, and I'll help you. And he told him, write a sefer about Shiloh HaKan, sending away the, the mother bird. And uh, you'll come to me with any questions. He gave him sources. And Naftali Weinberger, who's a, a wonderful personality, I guess he's maybe camera shy, I don't know. He's the one who should be, you should be interviewing. Really marvelous human being. Hopefully one day. Good. I hope so. And um, he became friendly. He became friendly with, the, with, the, with Reb Chaim's driver. Reb Chaim, anyone who asked him to be a sandak, he would do it. He could do four or five bris in a day. He could do one in Yushalayim and one in Tveria in the same day. Right. And he became friendly with the driver, and the driver told him, at least once a week, Reb Chaim is in Yushalayim for a bris. And I'll call you the night before, and you can meet him at the bris. You'll sit in the car, and you'll ask him your questions. And that way he wrote the book. Amazing. What do you think of the desire or the importance, better word, that Rav Chaim felt to be a sandik at, uh, at the different brisin? Obviously, it's a very great school. Rav Chaim knew Kola Tarakula. He knew, he, he knew a lot more about that than, uh, than I ever will. But he held it was a great schus, and he went out of his way to do it. Rebbe Yashiv also. Right. I always wondered if they felt that, uh, that they knew about the effect they would have on the family if, in fact, they served in a capacity like I'm that. Sure, at their yeah, I'm sure they did. Because he was never a Masada Kedushin. But I guess he felt mm-hmm. Sandik was at a different... Yeah. Or I say rarely. I think there was one or two times that they quoted him as a... Or that the author mm-hmm. wrote about his being a Masada Kedushin. But yeah, not, very seldom. But the Sandik was like, as yeah. you described, that could be, you know, round, round the you, clock, so to you speak. Measure, you mentioned a very, a very nice point, what it would mean to the family. Right. There was a case once, um, somebody had twin boys, and he wanted Rav Shach to be a Sandik, and Rav Shach said, only on the condition that I'm a Sandik for both of them. Mm. Why both of them? Later he explained, kids are going to grow up. And one's going to say, my sonic was a Rosh Hashiva. <laughs> no, both have, to, both have to be the same. I like that. And even in the Ashkenazic world, there are certain yeshivas and, and, and certain institutions where the Rosh Hashiva is a sonic for brothers, and something we're not used to, at least in my circles. But I think that mm-hmm. is still, still the case today, where Rosh Hashiva will always, always be the designated mm-hmm. sonic, very likely for the same reason. Um, well, we're here to discuss the book, and uh, the book is Rav Chaim, The Life and Legacy of the Sar HaTorah, written by Naftali Weinberger, and of course we're strongly recommending it, but while I have the opportunity, uh, both this book and, and uh, hundreds and thousands of others that you've been involved with, I'm curious, I mentioned the author before and, and, and how different, different authors would portray a specific subject, and you expounded on that. I don't know if that's one of your tasks here. I don't know, you know, if that's one of your assignments <laughs> in the Arts Girl building to, you know, think, think of casting, of who would be the best person to tell a story or to analyze a historic situation. Is, is that a great concern in our circles? And, and, if, you, and if in fact you were, uh, you were given a list of five authors, you would sit and really have to consider which would be the best one mm-hmm. to get these points and this story across to the Jewish mm-hmm. world? Yeah, that often comes up, yes. Mm-hmm. Some people are more qualified. We're, we're, very, we're very careful about the qualifications of authors. 
and uh, to to present to, to present the, the story or the personality in the in, in the proper Torah hashkafa. But on the assumption that they're all qualified and they're all great, you have an all-star list in front of you. You have a lineup of great sluggers in front of you, Rabbi Sherman. Okay, Why would someone get nixed? Are, are some of them? Is their vocabulary too too uh, mm. too high level, or, or or do they sometimes concentrate on one area over another? Why would someone have to leave that list? Well, some people are just um, as as writers. As writers, they're. They're, they're, they, they get the sentiment across better. Other people are, are more scholarly. Right. If it's a scholarly book, then you don't want a schmoozy writer. If it's a different kind of a book, then um, you want a different kind of writer. An academic book will lead to a certain list of names, mm. and a schmoozy book will lead to another list yeah, of like names. Yeah, like for example, <laughs> in the, uh, the, the, the Art School Sitter, our, our this goes way, way back. But our, our motive in writing, our motivation was it should be inspiring. Right. See, what, what is the fill all about? What is the sitter saying? But when people are davening, you want them to feel a connection to the davening and a connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So it would have to be somebody who, whose writing has that knack. Right. Whose writing belongs in a sitter. Yeah. Um, so curious about, I mean, look, you're doing this, uh, actually, I, I think we owe you a, a happy anniversary because whenever Purim rolls around, we think about the Art Scroll anniversary, right? Megillah Sester <laughs> and seeing right, Rabbi yeah. Zlotowicz's uh, incredible first offering uh, in what is now known as the Art Scroll series or library or mm. libraries. Um, any average in terms of number of books or works you're asked to look at on a weekly or monthly basis? Like, how many are on your desk right now? Because as general editor, I would assume that you're kept quite busy. Now, myself personally, I can't, uh, I can't look at every single book that comes in. Sometimes Was there I, a time you did? In the early years. In the early years, I, I, I edited everything. Literally. Yeah, but now it's not possible. I, can't even, I don't even have time to read everything. But um, sometimes there's a question about a manuscript, and the author will send in a sample, and then I'll be asked to review it. Sometimes a question comes up, should we do a certain book? Right. Is this topic something that we want to be involved with? So then I'm, I'm part of the circle. We discuss it. We, have, um, we, we, we come to a consensus. There's no... Uh, there's no dictatorship here. Right. We we respect one another. That's actually that's that's the, 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 been the secret of our soul's success for about forty five years, because there's no sense here of of competition. I have to win. You have to win. It doesn't work that way. It's collegial, friendly, and. Um, I never had a major mech like this. You could, you could have dis disagreements. Right. That's normal. But uh, mech like this, never. Um, what do you think when you see people using the Art Scroll app for davening? How does someone like yourself view that practice? Well, you're talking to a, to a relic. <laughs> I mean, I mean. Should I first tell you what the Art Scroll app is, Rabbi? <laughs> I'm not even sure I know. <laughs> uh, 
it's, but you uh, see someone looking at their phone during mm -hmm. Mariv, you say to yourself, anything or it's fine, it's the new generation, this is how it works. The first time I saw that, I thought, well, what are, they're, they're checking their email during Shmanesha? What, what, what kind of people are they? But then, uh, yeah, I know personally, I, I think diving should be from a sitter, but I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong. Right. Not at all. It is what it is. It's a, genera it's a generational thing. Sure. You know, it's interesting. We talked about Saratora and the term, and one of the things in being a sports fan is often comes up in conversation about how some of the younger people are able to process so much more information these days because they simply are surrounded by so much more information as they grow up. You know, we, we didn't have encyclopedias of knowledge on our fingertips, literally, these, you know, or, or, or as my late friend, Mayor Weingarten, used to say, you know, I'm a Talmud Chacham six days a week, you know. <laughs> I, I have no problem with any of these references six days a week. But I said, you know, I see the, um, the iPad that uh, contains the entire Shas and who knows what else in it, you know, that, that, that comes from the Art Scroll headquarters. And literally, all these hyperlinks and references and anything that you can you can press and, and within minutes you can have the entire sugya. And I don't mean the sugya meaning mm. the daf of Gemara. I'm talking the entire sugya. I'm now ready to you know, discuss something in, in, sheer, uh, in, in sheer level capability because I now have reviewed you know, 10 sources in a matter of minutes or seconds because of this technology. I'm not saying that everyone's going to become a Sarah Torah, but it's certainly, I, I, I think, j just like in sports, excuse the uh, comparison, it will give some of the younger people, this, especially those with in incredible minds, uh, an ability to process so much of our, of our books and our tradition you know, in, in so much less time than it took us. What do you think? <clears throat> By and large, it's very good. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. In the, when the Art Scroll Shas first started coming out, there were people who objected. Right. You know, you're making it too easy. People are not going to, they have to work through it. And the truth is that for 85% of the people, it was the best thing that ever happened, best thing since, since sliced bread. They could learn, they could understand, they could develop a, an appetite for learning, an enjoyment for learning. Were there people who took advantage of it not to work at it? I used to use an example of, um, you can't become a basketball player by looking at, at highlight videos. Right. <laughs> you have to learn the mechanics. Right. If, people, if people are going to use the Arsko Shas to, to try and, and skip over the mechanics, they won't know how to learn. Right. But for the, for the vast majority of people, it's, tr it's a tremendous thing. They're a great Rosh Yeshiva. I mean, really, from the top Rosh Yeshiva, who told me that they use it as a reference. Right. Revali Yashiv used it. Revali Yashiv used the art scroll Shas. He went through the Ha'oros on the bottom. He found it helpful. So... It's like, like many things, you know, you can, you, you can burn down a house with a cigarette lighter or you can use it to, to light the Shabbos candles. Sure, of course. If you use it right, then it's, it's a tremendous bracha. If you abuse it, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Correct.
Uh, before I ask you for your final comments regarding this specific book, one more general question. Uh, people, always, people often will ask, especially sitting with someone like yourself, a legend in this industry, they would ask, you know, how do you see ArtScroll years from now, etc. I'm going to ask you something differently. If you had to describe to someone what ArtScroll is today, today in 2023, what is ArtScroll? What would you say? Well, in terms of numbers, ArtScroll is the, the leading Orthodox Jewish publisher, leading publisher of Judaica, period. Right. But ArtScroll, what is ArtScroll? ArtScroll is, is an institution that tries to increase Kvot Shemayim and in, 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 in Yerush Shemayim. We will not publish a book that is scholarly and shows you what, what's wrong with it. That's not what we're here for. We're here to, we're here to increase learning. We're here to increase Yerush Shemayim, to increase Kvot Shemayim. And even in, the, even in our novels or children's books, right. if something, something is, is negative toward Torah, negative toward, uh, toward halacha, negative toward Jews, we won't publish it. That's not what we're here for. And you're open and honest about that, which, yeah, makes, we, it, well, which we makes, makes it very clear we to, make, to both know, fans right. and critics. That's right. We make no secret of that. Right. Uh, on the book of Chaim, the Life and Legacy of the Sarah Torah of Chaim Kanievsky, written by Naftali Weinberger. Uh, I am highly recommending it. I just read it. Not that it needs my approbation, but why uh, would you tell people to read it? What will they gain when they read this book? <laughs> well, I told you a few minutes ago, I don't even have time to look <laughs> at most of the things that come through here. I edited this book. I'm familiar with it from cover to cover. I grew from it. I grew from it. I didn't become a Talmud Chacham from it, but I grew from seeing what, what a man like Reb Chaim, whose every moment was precious, how his love for Klal Yisrael, his, his tzedakahs, his sensitivity toward, toward other people. You, could, you, you learn from this book and you grow from this book. And that's why I would recommend it to everybody. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, Reb Chaim, The Life and Legacy of the Sarator of Shmaryo Yosef Chaim Kanievsky, written by... Rabbi Naftali Weinberger, for our JMNAM listeners, I remind you, use promo code RADIO when you check out at artscroll.com. Rabbi Sherman, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. And we never even got to speak about the good old days in Newark. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> Although I did offer you a stroll through Week Lake Park earlier today, but it didn't seem like you were too anxious, frankly. I need, well, I need a police escort for that. <laughs> Thank you so much.